and gentlemen, it's time for Rock and Roll Death Brigade with Randy Rock and Cody on WQE 99.1. It's Rock and Roll Death Brigade on WQEE 99.1 FM Rock Radio. My name is Randy Rocket Cody of TheMetalVan.com. It is August 19th, 2023, Saturday. Hope everyone's doing good out there, having a great start to your weekend. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to talk about some of the news stories you'll find at TheMetalVan.com. Uh, before we get rocking with some music, okay? As well, we'll talk about the latest reporting at my personal site, randyrocketcody.com, which is a a new story on Chris Cornell, Jeffrey Epstein's Black Book, and Pizzagate. So you definitely want to check this one out. This is uh, as heavy as it gets in taking you deeper down that rabbit hole into all this human trafficking and all this crazy pedophilia stuff going on among the elite and how that got Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, Chris's friend, uh, ironically killed on Chris's birthday two months later in 2017. So this uh, report is a much deeper dive. If you want to get into it, That that's what it's going to do for you is help get you into the right area of the the people that are being looked at now after just Lane Maxwell was uh, sent to prison for 20 years and her involvement with the Epstein ring. And now this goes far beyond just, you know, uh, just Lane Maxwell. It's other people involved, and that's what people are, you know, want to know what's going to happen next. And so that's what my report tries to do is address some of those questions uh, about the black book that I, I was the guy who reported all of this in the start. I was the one that broke all of this big uh, in the uh, mainstream news media. When I reported on Chris Cornell and subsequently Chester Bennington, I was interviewed by the Detroit news. Uh, I was on Yahoo. I was on, all sorts of major sites. I was interviewed in Romania. I mean, it was just an incredible time and crazy. Hundreds of millions of views overnight, uh, leading to overall billions of views that I got all around the world. And it's been an incredible experience. So this report is real important to me. Uh, Thank you to anyone who's going to read it in advance and share it. I really do appreciate that. Okay. Uh, Now, before we get to rocking with some music, we'll talk about some of the stories you'll find at uh, themetalden.com. Uh, I do appreciate you subscribing and, and uh, over at uh, randyrocketcody.com and paying the $9.99 a month there. Uh, I am still working on getting the new uh, paywall put back uh, into place with themetalden.com so you can continue to read all the content at metalden.com for free. But once that paywall goes back up, it'll be just like how it is at randyrocketcody.com. You will have a subscription you have to pay for beyond the free, typically three posts that you get for free every month to check out. Uh, 
beyond that, you would have to pay for the subscription, okay? So, again, thank you to everyone who's been supporting me. I really do appreciate it. Now, you know, of course, it's going to be Motley Crue that we're going to talk about, right? <laughs> this crazy stuff going on over at uh, Motley Crue's camp. We've got some big news coming uh, that you'll find over uh, at the Metal Den Facebook. I mean, we're getting hundreds and hundreds of people putting likes and comments and tons of comments. You've got to understand that my posts are also uh, published and put out uh, onto these Facebook groups. So individual Facebook groups that have huge, massive followers and members, you know, hundreds of thousands and all around the world. So while I'm, I get a great response on the Facebook for the Metal Den, I'm, it's, you should see how, you know, the response I'm getting on all sorts of different pages uh, that I'm really thankful for. So, again, thank you to everyone who shares my posts out there, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook. It goes a long way, believe it or not. Okay, we've got Marduk has debuted a new music video. You can check that out. Uh, I've got a new review for uh, Nynemia has released uh, Weapons of Math, Math Destruction. That is great stuff. I give it a five stars out of five. Features the drummer of Megadeth. <laughs> Dirk. Yeah, Berberian. This is pretty heavy stuff, man. Very impressive. It's not actually slated to release officially until the end of 2023, but the cool thing is you can listen to a lot of these songs on Spotify right now. If you do, go check out Nynemia. You'll be able to hear a lot of the songs I talk about in this new Rocket review. So check that out as well at themailden.com. We've got Ministry has just uh, launched a new song, music video you can check out. So all sorts of uh, just great uh, music to check out, as well as just crazy stories about Motley Crue. All sorts of interesting reporting. Of course, the reporting right now you want to check out is over at randyrocketcody.com with the new uh, Chris Cornell report that is up about the uh, Black Book from Jeffrey Epstein and how that all connects to Pizzagate and everything. And what people were calling my work a hoax is now people are learning, wow, wait a minute, this guy was right. This stuff is true. This is really happening. So... Here we are six years later, right? And it's it's amazing to see people starting to wake up from their slumber, their sleep. All right. Well, listen, again, thank you to everyone who's been supporting my work. I'll uh, I'll be going back on the inter uh, interview with the radio with my buddy Ryan O'Neill coming up again uh, at the start of the month and uh, working on some good things. We'll keep, keep you... Uh, Make it a surprise when I hit you with it. But, again, thank you so much for all your support out there. The people that take the time to read what I'm, you know, uh, reporting. What, whatever, my, if it's on Motley Crue, if it's about Pantera, whoever it's about. If it's about Chris Cornell, whoever, over all the years, you know, it's going to be 19 years coming up in February that I, I created the metal band. Way long ago back on MySpace. And so it's been an incredible journey. I did not expect to ever be able to actually get to 20 years, but it looks like I'm going to get there. 
not sure what's going to happen beyond that point, but it's been such an incredible ride. And to, to have such an incredible response from everybody all around the world with all the media, the radio sites, and everybody out there that's that shared and posted TMD content, I'm, I'm really thankful and uh, and really amazed at the success that I've had with this crazy site, okay? All right, let's get rocking with some music.
Since my life had been threatened that they were that I was going to be kidnapped, my dad would sit up all night long with that fence electrified with a gun in his hand at the window. He slept days to be sure that the family was protected. Then we went down to Monticello, Indiana, quite often because he had had a home built down there on Schaefer Lake near Ideal Beach. So things became rather quiet for a little while. Then he started running slot machines down there, which created quite a problem. And this went on and on from one location to another as I grew to be a young woman. And I myself came out of school when the stock market crash came. Every youngster that was in there was brought home because of the problems of finances having been hit so hard at that time. However, it wasn't the stock market that was affecting our life. But if I remember correctly, this is a good many years ago, I did come home and I went to Bloom Township High School there in Chicago Heights, Illinois. But I didn't like school and they had a hard time keeping me in there. So I went and got myself a job, which they didn't know about. And instead of going to school, I went to work. Well, soon the principal discovered that I wasn't around very often. He came over to find out what the trouble was. So then they allowed me to quit school and from there on I stayed in the business world for the rest of my time. I did go down to Monticello quite frequently with my family over the weekends. I did marry when I was about 19, but I still continued to work. And my present husband at that time was working for my stepfather in Blue Island, Illinois. And then again we were back with the slot machines. So one thing led to another. They again moved back down to Monticello and they ran machines down there. The liquors were brought in in those years, which were, I guess would have considered prohibition, by the three brothers who would go to Canada, bring it across by boat, and all this liquor would sit in our house in gummy sacks to be put into the taverns, which was part of their business also. I think this was Wolcott, Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. Then I did move back to Chicago because my family was down there more. And again, traveling back to Arlington where the races were and back to Tampa, Florida. Then they did move the dog track from Homewood, Illinois down to Tampa, Florida. That of course is still in existence, has grown to be a considerable large plant. And since my father and my mother have both passed away, I'm the lone stockholder in this heavy been in a will for me when my mom passed away. And that has been about the extent of it. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Uh, well, yes, that is something that might be mentioned. After they did threaten to kidnap me, there was a tavern called Seven Acres, just north of Chicago Heights, Illinois. And Buddy Snyder was my stepdad's bodyguard at the time. And of course, they did live in an apartment up there for a short while, which I visited occasionally. There was a tavern also connected with this. And one evening, I had happened to like Buddy very much. He was a very, seemed to be a very gentle man, which shows you how mistaken you can be about people. But the tavern was there, and he was taking care of it that evening when one of these men walked in and shot him in the temple and killed him and laid him out on top of the bar. And the next morning, when I had gone in to visit my mom, she took me down and she said, I'm going to show you something which isn't going to really be one thing or another where you're concerned, but I just want to show you what happened because of distrust and real upsetting situations in these kind of businesses. And she took me and showed me Buddy with this bullet hole in his temple. And I just couldn't believe that a man of his seeming caliber would have ended up like this. And that was about what happened to Buddy Snyder, who was, at that time, my dad's bodyguard. Well, of course, when I was home, my folks would take me to the horse track in the afternoon, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Of course, we owned a racehorse at that time, and it was real thrilling to watch him run. His name was Piedmont. He never won anything, but it was still fun to watch him run. Then we would go out and have dinner and go across the street to the dog track. Many, many times when I was with my family, Frank or Al Capone would accompany us in the boxes. They were all very gentlemanly. There was never any problem around family. They were in our home occasionally talking to my dad. I did notice there was a lot of upheaval from time to time with sheriffs coming and going. And of course, they, late at night we'd get a call that we were going to be raided and they'd all take off and run someplace and pick up all the machines and bring them back and hide them. And so these were my experiences as I grew up.
was a model there uh, in New York, and they roomed together. Well, chances came along where we developed a pretty good relationship with Lenny, and I got close with uh, Mary. And eventually I moved Mary uh, into an apartment at Outer, Dr Outer Drive East, uh, right off at the foot of Randolph Street uh, on Michigan Avenue on, on uh, Outer Drive East there um, in Chicago. And I moved her from New York to Chicago to set up uh, this apartment. In the meantime, uh, Lenny's love was a fellow by the name of Red Dorfman, who was the international treasurer of the Teamsters Union. Through the association with Lenny, I got very close with Red. In Red, got to know him, and he knew that I was in charge of, uh, I was vice president of sales with a major blue chip company, and uh, wanted to know, you know, just exactly what my functions were, and I said, well, besides handling all the sales and marketing, that I handled all the shopping center negotiations and leasing. And he said, that means that you put out your issue money on these leases. And I said, that's right. And he said, well, uh, would you be interested in putting out Teamster pension fund money? And I said, well, I'm not exactly uh, sure what, you know, what you mean. And he said, well, we have the Teamster Pension Fund, and we would like very much to uh, put out loans to desirable businesses. And uh, we have a formula that I would like to discuss with you. And if you're interested in putting out this money uh, for us, um, you can make a tremendous amount of money, and you can help us by moving these funds so that we can make more money. The deal was this, that by using the Teamster uh, pension fund money uh, as loans for uh, various business people who were, many of them were building hotels, uh, motels, resorts. Uh, well, actually the cash uh, available was unlimited and we had to take it project by project. And the deal was, uh, the sticking point on the whole thing was that they required 10% uh, cash from the uh, prospective borrower, which I would share in, and this was paid cash up front prior to the loan being processed through normal channels in a bank at normal interest rates, generally about one point above the uh, lending at that time, which was a reasonable situation, and uh, no closing costs or anything like that because our, our money came uh, upfront cash under the table. This concludes the worldwide exclusive preview of the Mafia Tapes. Make sure and go online to read Randy Rocket Cody's spec screenplay titled Public Enemy Number One on Scribd site.
Johnny Rocco. Uh, his his birth name was Ronald Greenberg, and but he went by the alias Johnny Rocco, which was the name of it. Wow, really? Yes, sir. That's correct. My father's mafia name was Johnny Rocco. So he's a, he's an extremely uh, legendary gangster uh, from from the '60s, '70s, and '80s that really nobody knows about because uh, he did not rap. He did not become an informant. Uh, during the whole period that things went down with him being prosecuted uh, for racketeering, and so it was, uh, it was published in uh, in, in in the paper uh, in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, where he was prosecuted. And but that's about it. It wasn't it wasn't a huge story like John Gotti, although my dad got one count less than John Gotti, so he was a real big deal. But uh, Red Dorfman was the head of the Chicago Waste Handlers Union. And he was a kingpin of the Chicago outfit. Uh, con- congressional investigators in 1959 described him as, quote, the link between the Teamsters Union and the Chicago underworld, unquote. So he was his son was a guy named Alan Dorfman, uh, who was also he was actually his stepson, Red's stepson. He was actually named uh, uh, Melnick was his his biological name. Alan Melnick was portrayed, uh, he was portrayed in Casino. He was shot in the back of the head. Uh, at one point in the movie, Alan King, the comedian, played him. And then right. Dustin Hoffman's son, Jake, played Alan uh, Dorfman, uh, who was Melnick by birth. Uh, he, he played him in The, uh, the Irishman, uh, Dustin Hoffman's son. So that's uh, that's Paul. Paul Red Dorfman was a real big, big time dude in, in the Chicago uh, mob. And so my father worked directly with him. Wow. And your father established uh, a limo service tied to the Teamsters in the Chicago outfit that was nationwide. And he had a fleet of 250 limos. What other business did your father get involved with? Well, yeah, that's absolutely correct. He was uh, he uh, because of all the the Teamsters Union and uh, you know uh, guys like um, truck drivers, uh, limo drivers, taxi drivers, people. My dad got those types of people to uh, go to work for his limo service. You know, connected to the to the Teamsters, and so yeah, he he got it up to 250 limos nationwide. Um, one, of, one of the times I saw my father when I was a kid before I went and lived with him, um, I was picked up in one of those limos and taken out to Universal City uh, to meet uh, with him at, a, at one of his restaurants. My dad owned a bunch of different restaurants, of course, Italian. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, one of them was called Rocco's, actually. And um, I have a uh, menu 
from from that restaurant. But uh, my dad was quite a character. I mean, that's why the, a movie about him is just it has to be done just like the Capone movie, because, you know, nobody's told the story and, and, and nobody really knows the truth about all the stuff that happened back then. Now, my father, uh, he was he was something else. Uh, he in, in Los Angeles, he started uh, a jazz club in Beverly Hills. Um, yes. And Aretha Franklin was the house singer. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're talking legendary stuff here, bro. And my dad also, he also started the very first discotheque in Los Angeles. Oh, my goodness. And that well, I know. My, one, one other thing I'll mention that a lot of people wouldn't know is that uh, my father also had a radio show in Las Vegas. Really? He sure did. My dad's a legend. My father had a show, The Rod Gregory Hour. In Las Vegas, yeah, and it was big time. He had all the celebrities on there. He had waltzed his way into Las Vegas with my mom driving in, and he saw this uh, billboard for the radio station. And and uh, my dad says, you know what? I want to have a show on that station. My wife says, well, don't you think you should call them first? And he says, no, watch what I do. He brought his own people, and they put up their own billboard that my for my dad's show. And the man that owned the station was coming back from being out of town back in Vegas, and he drives by the billboard and sees my dad's. <laughs> and he flipped his wig and he calls the number, right? And it's my dad on the other end of the phone, Mr. Gangster. And he straight up told him who he was and what he wanted to do. And the man obliged. My father was given a radio show. Yeah, you wow. know, it's very, uh, very connected morning. Uh, it was actually an evening program, as far as I understand it. And he'd have, you know, different famous celebrities on there from the Las Vegas uh, uh, circuit. Um, yeah, what's wrong with that? That sounds good. Yeah, really it, pretty legendary fun. stuff. And so he was a real character. And uh, it was it was an honor uh, to get because I was estranged from him. As I told you, I lived I, I grew up in Los Angeles. My mom divorced him when I was real young. When I was about right. six, I was moved out to uh, to Los Angeles to the Hollywood uh, area. And uh, I, I grew up there and, and my father uh, did his thing. And there would be times where, as I said, I would be connected with him. I would be picked up in a limousine and right. taken somewhere to meet to meet with him. And uh, but it wasn't until my teen years that I later teen years that I actually went out and, and lived with my father and got to know him uh, closely. Well, you know what's cool about this? That you just get something that is not normally featured in any of these so-called monster movies in real life. Is that your mother and father got divorced, stayed on good terms, and he was working for the 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 uh, Chicago outfit, and there was no animosity really, you know, normal animosity. So to me, you know, that's a big part of what you could what you're going to put in the film to show that hey. People can have differences of views and different opinions and go their separate ways, and there's not all this, oh, I will get revenge on you for 
leaving me or whatever. So yeah, I no, my father. That. Yeah, that's a great point. My father was. I mean, I remember when the uh, I at the start of the nineteen eighty six uh, baseball season. I'm a big baseball fan, and so is my dad. Uh, I predicted that the Mets were going to win the World Series. Right. I clipped out all the box scores every single Mets game. And wow. who won the World Series that year? Was it the Mets? They sure did. My father <laughs> called me. My father called me when Bill Buckner missed that ball at first base. He called me on the phone right afterwards, and we we shared in that. Uh, he knew how much that how much that made me happy and. Uh, uh, it's a whole right. long story about why I became a Mets fan, even though I was out, I was going to Dodgers games. But I, I really got into them because of the Miracle Mets from 1969. My mom had bought me that album that the that the Mets had made from 1969. That was such a big deal when they won that World Series. That became a fan, and in '86, it literally was just the the year before she got me that album. I was like, you know what? I think they can do this again. And so that's that's what I did. Is that I was just a Teenager just rooting for those Mets, and uh, they they won it. Man, that is so cool. We're gonna we'll go, we got a few more questions. We're gonna hear from here and talk about your screenplay in a moment. Your father was a legendary gangster, as we just spoke about here, and he, he held a, a, a giant fat Tony in his arms inside a federal prison. So let's talk a little bit about that situation and everything with he and Fat Tony and all of that that came. About. My father was in federal prison with Fat Tony Salerno, and right. they used to play chess together. And I was given uh, as well with these mafia tapes. I was given the actual chessboard that they used to play on. It's in my room here right now, uh, wow. in my home. And um, and so they, uh, yeah, you don't, you're not any more connected than that when you've got Fat Tony as a personal close close friend. And my father, I'm told, held him in his in his arms when he died. Um. Uh. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal, uh, and it's pretty heavy when you start to find out all this stuff and you understand the truth. Because I've always been a buff of the mafia and uh, organized crime and 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 all that true crime type of uh, uh, books and all that stuff. And so, you know, once once I really started to understand, once my father passed away in two thousand and one, uh, and in my subsequently my grandmother, uh, I had gone out and seen, I uh, spent some time with my grandmother. Uh, shortly after uh, all of this with my father. And that's when she started to divulge all the information about her uh, connection to Al Capone and being personal friends with him. And so I literally almost fell out of my seat at, at lunch. And uh, <laughs> literally, I mean, I, she said Al Capone like it was no big deal. And I was like, the Al Capone? And so, and yeah. And so it, it went, kind of went from there. You know, I had been screenwriting in Hollywood. I, I was surrounded by um, major players in Hollywood from a young age, including Steven Spielberg's writer, um, Stu Krieger, uh, who actually handed me notes on this Capone screenplay uh, and has helped me uh, with the revision of the first draft. So that's why I feel so confident about it is because I've got a, a major dude uh, from Hollywood that's already helped me uh, polish the first draft, you know. So, but it, it once that happened, I in 2013 I uh, set out to uh, to really get to the heart of the of the matter in terms of my uh, my family's involvement with the Chicago outfit in terms of going back to 1920s because that's when this all happened with Capone. Uh, Al, Al Capone was that the became the head of the uh, Chicago outfit and they they created the outfit created the the mob commission. Okay, so that all that all and all the the 
the families in, involved uh, and connected to that, and then the meeting they was ha- they'd have in, uh, I guess, Atlantic City. All that stuff is because of the Chicago mob. And so my family, my grandmother's stepfather, O.J. Ellis, is another major, major unknown uh, gangster legend that worked closely with the Capone brothers, as you guys could hear in that tape. They would be at, they would be at our home, and my, the family home. And they would come out to the dog track that uh, that we owned uh, and in, in uh, Florida, as, as I'm told, and sit in our box, the Capone brothers. I tell you what, it's been, once again, we, did, we still have not had a whole lot of time to talk about this. We'll try to get you back on again next month because I want to keep talking about this. And I want to get a rundown of it. Uh, you got the script out and all of that, and we, we've been talking about it. I know you've got a lot of interest in it in Hollywood and surround and surrounding, and and having these tapes and everything have just been fantastic. And it's been an honor having talking about this. And I'll be honest with you, Randy. I wish I could have gotten to meet your father because he seemed like more than just a character, like a character and a good guy and everything. And showing that not everybody's involved in that lifestyle is a, a terrible person. So, no, he, was, he, was a good, he was a good guy. Go Thank go you. I appreciate that. He, in terms of, you know, it's business is business, and that's how the mafia works. It's no different right. than anywhere else in this world uh, where business has to be done and things have to be protected and people have to be protected. And if you're going to try and play any, a funny business, one last thing I'll tell you, uh, my, my father and my mother were both kidnapped at one point. Yeah. Okay? And my grandmother sent out two hitmen. To, to to give them the money, well, uh-huh. they weren't just going to give them the money. <laughs> those pe- <laughs> those two people, man and woman, were never seen again. Well, that's what happens, and that's that's how it happens when you deal with the wrong people. You know what I'm saying? So, brother, it's been an honor again. Tell everybody how they can follow you, how they can read the movie script, Public Enemy Number One. What other, what other investigations you got going on and all that good stuff? We've got a couple more minutes left with you. All righty. Well, again, thank you for having me on. And if you go on Scribd site, that's S-C-R-I-B-D, uh, you can uh, just in the search uh, box type public enemy number one, all the words, and my script will pop up. It's copyright protected, so uh, you can just go ahead and read it. You can pass around whatever you want to anybody that you want, uh, family members, people in the Hollywood business. Um it's it's really good stuff. It's all based off of uh, news articles and research that I did, for, pulled from directly from uh, uh, source witnesses from those times. <clears throat> I am going to follow up with the second uh, film in the trilogy, the gangster trilogy that I'm doing. The Capone movie is the first one. The second one will be about my father. I'm working on that script now, and, and when I get that uh, hammered out here in the future, I'll let you guys know all about that. Yes. If you would Bye. only say you care, 
And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire My clothes may still be torn and tattered But in my heart I'd be a king Love is all that ever mattered It's ever 